Merry Christmas, one and all film listeners. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium as much as we do. Hollow Thanksmas comes to a close with Kayla Hurd calling in to talk about her lovely traditions and my very first time watching this one-of-a-kind Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you so much for um, taking the time out of your holiday to join us to talk about It's a Wonderful Life. I'm joined by my um, old friend from high school and probably the number one Christmas fan that I've ever met in my entire life. Um, Kayla Hurd is here. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm excited to be here. I'm doing well. Me too. Um, so I kind of actually just want to start. Yes, we're talking about It's a Wonderful Life today, a Christmas classic. I, we usually start by talking about the movie, but I wanted to start by talking about the holiday this time because this is coming out on Christmas Day. And, uh, you know, Christmas is a big holiday um, for so many people and obviously for you. So I want to know what your relationship to the holiday is, why you love it so much, and how do holiday movies fit into your traditions? Oh, boy. Where do I start? Um, <laughs> Christmas has always been extremely special in my family. And I would give part of that to the traditions that we have that don't change year after year. It's just the same thing every year. And I would give the other part of that to my parents and especially my mom, who just always made Christmas really, really special in our family. Um, Christmas Eve, because my mom's side is Italian, we always did the Feast of the Seven Fishes on Christmas Eve, which is like a huge dinner. You have seven. It's a big seafood dinner, seven different fishes. Um, and then Christmas day, we'd go to my grandma's and we would do like the lasagna and the chicken cutlet and like, so very Italian traditions, a lot of food. Um, but I just remember growing up, you know, whether it was putting up the Christmas tree, watching Christmas movies, um, watching a Christmas story all day when TBS would do the 24 hour marathon and they still do. Mm-hmm. Everything we, it was just very special and we always did everything together as a family. And, you know, my dad being a football coach, he would be gone during the season. And like when he started coaching college, he was gone a lot, but Christmas was always a time that we were always together and everything that we did tradition wise, we always did together. So that's why I love it. And also like Christmas music, Christmas movies, Hallmark channel, like all (laughs) great things that come around during the holiday season. Um, so just a lot of great memories growing up. That's, that's so sweet to hear. I love the, the separation of the two dinners, the mm-hmm. seafood and the, the Italian one. Oh, yeah. Now, what, what is your opinion on like, how do Christmas movies fit in um, to everything? Because we were talking about last time when we just did an episode on Christmas with the Cranks and we were talking about how um, the fact that it's interesting that a lot of Christmas movies, they all follow a similar, similar formula, yes, but the one thing that they all do is they all kind of end in a good place. Mm-hmm. They all end happy. And that's kind of one thing we'll talk about with this movie is that it is you know, one of the most emotional endings that you could watch for a <laughs> Christmas movie. But the movie itself, there's a lot of really depressing things that happen. Mm-hmm. And But like Christmas movies in general, you don't really associate. Yes, there's probably going to be a low point for the characters. But like 
most of the time it's going to be like in high spirits. So is that like your attraction to holiday movies? Is that part of it? Or what, um, what, which holiday movies do you like the best and what draws you to them? For your first question, yes, I think so. I think that Christmas and the holiday season is a very hopeful time. Um, no matter what's going on in my life year after year, I always look forward to the holidays and I always look forward to Christmas because it's just that it's a beautiful time. There's a lot of hope. Everyone's kind of happy. And I think Christmas movies and especially really bring that and, you know, always ending on a positive note, I think can also be said as always ending on a hopeful note. Always you, you finish your Christmas movie and you think, okay. I'm happy. Like I feel warm inside. Like everything's got, everything's good. Everything's going to be okay. And I think that's a big part of the season. And I think Christmas movies, especially really bring that to people. Um, my favorite Christmas movies, um, besides it's a wonderful life will have to be the Grinch, which I'm sure you've heard me give Grinch impressions from before <laughs> many times. Um, in my family, we can quote the entire Jim Carrey Grinch movie. Just we can't. That's my family yeah. too. It's easily the most quoted movie in our house. Easily that and mm -hmm. Christmas Vacation, another Same. great one. You can mm -hmm. quote it all day long. Um, so I I like the the funnier ones. Another one that's become one of my favorites is Four Christmases with Vince Vaughn. Oh, I've heard that's a really good. Yeah, it's hilarious. Again, another <laughs> one that ends in like a really positive, hopeful, and it, it gets sad for a little bit. But oh my gosh, one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think I definitely I I'm attracted more to the comical Christmas movies. Um, mm -hmm. Besides, it's a Wonderful Life, which is just a classic. It's just a tradition. You have to watch it every mm -hmm. year. Yeah, Christmas Vacation is definitely my favorite because I think that that one is really special because everyone in that movie is kind of giving their A-game. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's a ton of quotes in it. Every scene is pretty funny. But it's also a good movie. Like yeah. It's a very well-made movie. Right. Like I think that I, I think The Grinch has to do a lot with nostalgia because I watched it so much as a kid. And if someone told me that this is not a good movie, I wouldn't necessarily argue with them, but it is very <laughs> enjoyable and very funny. Hilarious. Um, I, yeah. I mean, it's because I'm green, right. isn't it? It's so good. It's, it's um, the funniest. <laughs> so funny. Jim Carrey is just genius. And he then is. in Christmas Vacation, you have Cousin Eddie, who oh, is yeah. just hilarious. And I actually, good thing this is airing on Christmas Day because I found, you know, the moose glasses that they drink the eggnog out of? Yes. I found those and I actually got those for my dad for Christmas. So he'll Holy be opening shit. those up today. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That, that is a great gift. I'll yeah. see if I can find That is amazing. Um, Super cool. But so that brings us to It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. um, a, a classic, not only just a classic holiday movie, you know, it's considered one of the greatest movies of all time. And it has like always been like it was in the top 10 of AFI's list for many years. It's I'll do some quick specs on the movie. Um, it was directed by the great Frank Capra um, in 1946, um, um, starring Jimmy Stewart as George Bailey, who um, we see his kind of entire life of caring for people. And uh, on Christmas Eve, he decides that he's going to commit suicide and a guardian angel, Clarence, decides to come down and stop him and show him what his um, life would be like had he or what life would be like had he never existed. Um, and this is a very special episode because I have never seen this movie um, <laughs> until last night. Um, I want to know what when did you first see it and what your relationship to it has been? If it's a classic for you, um, what grabbed you on the first time you watched it? 
Oh my goodness. I I don't even know when the first time I saw it. It had to have been when I was little. Um, tradition, like I said, traditions are big in my family. Um, there's a tradition that every Thanksgiving night we watch It's a Wonderful Life. And that tradition actually was brought um, by my dad. He used to watch it with his mom, who uh, is no longer with us. Mm-hmm. But they used to watch It's a Wonderful Life every night, every Thanksgiving night. And now that's kind of transferred over to my family and we watch it every Thanksgiving night. And even still today, my dad will pause the movie and talk about specific parts and he'll pause it and talk (laughs) about, you know, why this is important, why that's important. And it's been like that my entire life. So I don't, I could not tell you the first time I watched it's a wonderful life because it's been forever. Um, But it's it's a tradition. So it's something that we watch every year together as a family. Everyone phones away. We sit down on Thanksgiving night and that's what we watch. Now, my mom and dad, they also watch it on Christmas Eve night when they're finishing wrapping last minute presents and stuff. My brother and I have never been privy to that, uh, watching that on Christmas Eve because we're always sent to bed before. Mm-hmm. Even now, I'm 22 years old and I'm still sent to bed before (laughs) it's a wonderful life is played on Christmas Eve. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's a time when the whole, our family, we all sit down, we all watch it together. We talk about it. That's so it's really special. That's interesting. You do it on Thanksgiving night because it's almost like you watch this to kickstart the holiday, the the holiday feeling. Um, And that was one thing that I was kind of interested in because Going into it, I mean, I had seen a couple of the famous clips. Like, I had seen when his his daughter's like, look, every time a bell rings, an angel <laughs> gets his wings. But I, I didn't realize that there was, um, it was so spanning of George Bailey's life. And the Christmas aspect of it isn't really until the last 40 minutes of the movie. Right. Um, and so I had assumed that, I thought it was kind of like pseudo a Christmas story almost, or a Christmas mm-hmm. carol where the whole movie he's taken through what uh, or like most of the movie, it's like, I'm going to kill myself. But like, OK, here's what your life would have been like. And I thought he was kind of traveling through that for mm-hmm. most of the movie. But no, that's like when he's at his utmost, like lowest point. Yeah. And I was shocked um, that and I was so drawn in. I mean, I should just say up front, this movie's incredible. <laughs> I was like just blown away by this movie. And that was one thing like I was just so unexpected. I didn't really know what to expect and how it was going to play out. Um, I mean, it, it's so cool. It's one of those. That it's it's like Citizen Kane in that when you watch it for the first time, so many doors open up to other pop culture references and how it's been imitated over and over and over again. Right. Um, some to some success and to some not so great success. I mean, The Simpsons has parodied it an utmost <laughs> number of times yeah. in very funny ways. But um, there's a reason that it's one of the greatest movies of all time, and I I think that everything in it like every single story beat every single shot has something going on that you can kind of latch on to right every every bit and piece of that movie is important and if you miss one part you've missed a a really important part that's going to be important later in the movie um which is really cool yeah there's a lot of really good setup and payoff Mm -hmm. and they don't like sometimes they point it out like especially in the opening scene when Clarence, like when they're telling Clarence, like, oh, yeah, this is when he saved his brother, you know, pay attention to that because that's going to come back later. And I was like, thank you, movie. I appreciate it. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, But 
but like there's so many things that you can see like even just that the fact when when they show Clarence talking to the other angels and it's just the constellations mm-hmm. with lights behind him I mean that in in and of itself has been imitated so many times right. um or just the idea of someone going to help someone who is like well I'm not fully you know respected by my um, by my chosen group, but once I do this, I will, you know, I, I will be. But it works so well in this movie because it's like he's doing it to someone who has helped so many people, and this is kind of the last person that Jimmy Stewart needs to help to kind of get back right. um, to his family. Um, it's it's brilliant. It, it's honestly, it's a brilliant movie. It really is, and like you, and growing up, I think the part that attracted me as like a little kid, I remember, was the constellations at the beginning. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. But when my dad explained it to us, like, oh, that's supposed to be God. And like that one's Clarence. Like, it's just like when you're younger, you always think of like, okay, you go to church and like you pray to the sky because that's where God is. That's where heaven is. And to have like that one movie, like put them in constellations as a little kid, I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Like, wow. Mm -hmm. Like when I look up at the sky, like he's a star. And I don't know, like, I remember that growing up specifically always just Mm -hmm. amazed me the beginning. I think it's easier. I think they could. That's the best way they could have done it because you know, as a kid, if you look up and you see that star, it's so easy to be like, "Oh, he's right there." Right. As opposed to, they could have done like I don't know, some like George Millier thing where they're like on a theater soundstage and this guy's in a big beard and he's right. like, "Clarence, you must go." And they right. cut back to him like reading a book or something like that. Like it would have. I think that would have been like way more cheesy. But this is so well done. It's just just a single shot with just some lights behind a curtain yeah. to make it to make it work. Right. Um, it's it's so well done. And I love that um, every like this movie is so timeless. It, the, like the only thing that really dates it necessarily is the fact that like they talk about like World War Two and mm-hmm. the and they talk about the stock market crash. But like that's only kind of slightly hinted at like right. you kind of put that together as as the viewer. Right. Um, but the fact that this is again, directed by Frank Capra, one of the greatest directors that mm-hmm. we've that Hollywood ever saw. Um, he he did something really interesting with this movie that he made everyone, everyone is aging throughout this movie, but no one is aging throughout yeah, this movie. Yeah, right. Like everyone, when, they're, when you're introduced to Jimmy Stewart, he's supposed to be like 27 or something like that. Right. And he stays 27 throughout the entire movie. At least he looks like it. Yeah. And Jimmy Stewart is 38 when they made this movie. Right. Like he's so much older, um, but everything in it and the fact that it's like filmed on a soundstage and the actual effects and the way the camera moves, it has such this great classic golden age of Hollywood charm to it. Yeah. It is so easy to suck yourself into. Exactly. And I think that's also part of the attraction to it is that old Hollywood charm. Like you watch this movie and it's just so satisfying and it's, yeah. it's so cool. And I, I said last night, cause I watched it last night with my boyfriend and I was like, Oh, I wish I lived in this time. And that's because yeah. of the way they film it. Like they, they just make this time period look so awesome where it's like, yeah, Oh, and, I wish. Oh yeah. And the, all the movie making trips, like ha- tricks of how they got snow and like the yeah. buildings, like you can clearly tell that it's like the houses are like the exteriors are just this panel and then mm-hmm. they go in and it's another set. Um, it it's, there's not a lot. I mean, movies are made incredibly different now, but there's not. There's also nothing that really ages in this movie, and the fact that it's not offensive. There's um, nothing that's like, oh, I don't know about that nowadays. Like it's so positively made, mm-hmm. despite the fact that there are some, you know, sad things that happen in it. It's made with such like 
it's so bright, I yeah. guess is what I'm trying to say. And I think a lot of that has to do um, with a lot of the casting choices and the way, um, you know, that the story is built up. Because, like, I think a lot of people can go into this movie and just think, like, oh, it's going to be like an old Christmas movie. It's going to have the same tropes. But, like, it, it's it's really a character study of this guy, George yeah. Bailey, who is, um, you know, one of the more iconic characters in movies because of Jimmy Stewart. Um, and it's it's really fun to see. I was not expecting to see his entire kind of rise and um, uh, and then eventual fall to where he to where we all know the story is supposed to go. Um, but what a great character! And yeah. everyone in the movie is just like, yes, they're doing that kind of old style of speaking where it's like, ah, you know, I called him up today and I'd right. tell him to fax <laughs> over some money. Um, but it's funny. It yeah. moves really well. It's yeah, it's paced fantastically and the dialogue's really fast. I was yeah. just I was just gone. I was just in the world of the movie. Right. You get sucked in so easily. And mm-hmm. I I think Jimmy Stewart is also this is I mean, this is my favorite movie that he's in. And mm-hmm. also, um, in an interview with Jimmy Stewart, he said that It's a Wonderful Life was his favorite movie out of the 70 movies he was ever in. It's a Wonderful Life was his favorite he ever did. And Frank Capra actually said the same thing. He said that it's his favorite movie that was ever made. He thinks it's the best movie that was ever made. And it's his favorite that he ever directed. So there's just something about this movie that really draws everyone. And it brings something out of everyone. And I think it's the fact that, you know, it is so true to human life. You're watching George Bailey. You know, he has these dreams of traveling. It opens up. He's about to go on a boat trip. He's about to go see the world. He's going to come back. Then he's going to go to college. Like he has this plan and all he wants to do is travel. All he wants to do is leave Bedford Falls. What happens? His dad dies. Okay. Now he's stuck. He's stuck with the building and loan, you know, and then they are going to vote the building and loan down unless he stays. So now he has to cease for us to stay. So then Harry goes to college. Okay, Harry's supposed to come back in four years. He's supposed to take over the building and loan. George is supposed to go to college. Harry comes back married. So you just, you watch George Bailey throughout the whole movie, you know, create these plans for his life. He has all these hopes. He has all these dreams. And I think that rings true to a lot of people. We all have things that we want to do in life. We all are filled with this hope. We all have goals. We all have dreams. But then life gets in the way all the time. There's so many things that happen that gets in the way of all those goals and dreams. And that's exactly what we see George Bailey do. And then, you know, to have a Christmas movie, have a scene even where their main character is considering suicide. Like that is not, that's not heard of. That's not seen very often. But I think that's another, what makes, what makes it so special is that people all go through low points in their life. So we're following George Bailey's life and we see he has this amazing wife, he has kids, yet he's still, you know, life is still getting to him. There are still bad things happening to him, just like we all face bad times. And we see him go through the absolute lowest point in his life. And I think what's really special is that what happens when he's going through the slow point? Okay, God sends Clarence. Now he has his guardian angel there. So it also, it makes you think like, okay, when you're, when I'm going through my lowest points in my life, okay, maybe there is a higher power that's helping me through. Maybe there, I do have a guardian angel that's, you know, helping me navigate through this and, and, you know, figure things out for myself, which is exactly what this movie shows. 
Yeah, it's, it, it, that was one thing that I that really stuck out to me is how easy it is to relate to what he's going through. And I, I imagine that this movie is so much fun or interesting to watch throughout points in your life and mm-hmm. where and to kind of reflect back on where you are and how you got there. Um, because I'm sure if you watch this at a at a high point, you're like, oh, okay, it's you know very exciting, and you're really pulling for him. And then if you watch it, you know maybe in some form of a slump, you're like, oh man, like that that hits that rings true. Right. Um, and I mean, I think we yeah we've all had those low points. We've all had the feeling of we're not necessarily doing what we want to do. I mean, like you know even just this year, we graduated into a pandemic mm-hmm. and kind of had to figure it out all ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And I was. You know, I was in Los Angeles and I was ready to start out there and then I had to come home and it's like, oh, no, no, well, now what do I do? And I've been a, you know, a delivery driver and working at my at at the local community college, which is still good to save money. But it's like, this is not what I expected I'd be doing. So it's like you you have to power through. And that's one thing I do love about this movie is how optimistic it is or how optimistic just in general George Bailey is or he tries to be. And he's constantly he puts himself in front of others to a or yeah, puts his the needs of others before himself yeah. to a fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and I relate to that so hard. Like I'm a people pleaser. I do that all the time. Yep. And you know, sometimes it's like you gotta do like the whole time in that scene when um when Uncle Billy's like, you know, they'll they'll keep the firm, but you have to stay on and you know, I'll stay on with you. And it's just like, no, go, leave, just get out of there, just leave. You're just really pulling for him and he's so close to actually going. Um, but eventually he gets, um, you know, sucked back in. And it's kind of one of those things where it's just like you have to do what you have to do. Right. And it's it's whether or not to do the right thing or to do what's best for you. It's it is a constant battle in his mind. And it's so well realized. Um, and I, again, I was just blown away by this movie. Yeah. Um, and then you have Donna Reed. I mean, he he gets married to Mary and. Mary is is the same way. I mean, they're about they just get married. They're about to go on their honeymoon. Okay, there's a run on the bank. What does Mary do? She gives all of their honeymoon money away to the people so that they don't leave the bank and go running to Potter. Like he marries someone who has that same, you know, I'm I'm not even going to say people pleasing, but has that same willingness to give. She's such a giver. She's so positive throughout the movie. I mean, even at the end in his lowest point when he's yelling at the kids, she's still, she's so, she's such a positive character and a positive point in his life. And then you see when he wasn't born, when he never lived, you see Mary, what it, she's an old maid. She looks sad. She like unhappy. And I think that's also interesting when you look at when he, the part where he never lived, where he was never born, everyone is so unhappy. Yes. So he had such an (laughs) impact on people's lives. Ernie, the cab driver, his his wife left him and took the kid. Mr. Gower, the druggist, I mean, he, George saved him from prison, from 20 years in jail because he was sad about his son dying and almost poisoned a child. And George was there to stop him. Well, we learned- Yeah, but he still lived to be 150 years right. old. Oh my God, <laughs> at the end, yeah. But he just, he had such an impact on everyone's lives. And Harry, he was never there to save Harry. So then Harry was never there to save all the soldiers when during World War II. And, you know, the, the, the effect that he had on his life, the lives of others, and then the lives of- those people that they were connected to is just, it's crazy. And that it really makes you think of like, you know, you always hear the saying of who do you, you make an impact on everyone every day in, in a way that you don't even know. Well, this movie shows that how he made an impact on everyone every day and he didn't even realize it. 
Yeah, and it's done so well, like, there are no loose ends. You mm-hmm. can see the, th- the threads, like, connecting every single person. Um, I think that's a perfect uh, place to segue in uh, to the critical breakdown. So let's just dive right in. The, the first thing I wanted to ask you um, is... So you read the, um, this is also based on a short story, The mm-hmm. Greatest Gift by um, Philip Van Doren Stern. Um, I was, you said that you had read the um, short story. So I'm curious how this movie adapts the short story and how, um, like if there are any major changes or if it's like fairly, uh, pretty faithful to it, like how, how does it transfer over? So the, first of all, it's, it's a very short story and it should be noted that, um, it was written by Philip Van Doren Stern as just a Christmas card that he sent to his friends and family. He well, he had the idea. Um, his, there's there's chapters at the end of where his daughter is talking, and you know he the, he had the idea. The idea never really changed, and he wrote it and he sent it to his family and friends as a story, just on a, like a little pamphlet. Well, the pamphlet ended up making its way to Frank Capra, and that's how he found it. Um, so the short story begins with the arrival of Clarence when George is on the bridge. That's where it starts. Um, you don't see Clarence jumping in. Um, you don't see George jumping in to save Clarence. There's, there's a lot of things, um, that, that are different from the story. The major themes are still there, you know, um, but it's, it's very interesting because, when Clarence, you know, takes set, grants his wish, he's never been born. He gives him a bag of brushes and he says, you know, you're going to need these. And so he goes to visit um, someone who lives near the building and loan and talks to them. Well, in the book, the building and loan is the bank is just a place he works at. It's not his family business. He goes and sees his mother and his mother um it's very nice to him, invites him in. He gives her a brush, which is something you don't see in the movie. You see his mother in the movie being very cold to him. Um, then he goes and he visits Mary. And Mary is actually married to a different man and has children with this man. Um, and he gives Mary a brush. And then at the end, when he, you know, he's, his, he has his life back, um, he goes back to see Mary and the brush that he gave her is still there on the couch, which is something you don't see in the movie, which is very interesting. So it's, it's that was a ghost the whole time. Right. Right. <laughs> very, it, it's very interesting. You also, um, you don't see like the Clarence, like every time a bell rings an angel gets his wings. Like that's not something you see directly in the book. So the book is very different and it's very short. Like I said, it starts from when he's on the bridge and it goes to, you know, when he comes back. When he gets ah. his life back. Yeah. Um, but when, so Frank Capra and Jimmy Stewart, they had just both returned from World War II when they got this short story. Um, Jimmy Stewart was, you know, he did a lot of great things in World War II. Um, and so when they both got back, Capra actually called Jimmy Stewart and told him that he had an idea for the movie, which was from The Greatest Gift, and it was going to be It's a Wonderful Life. And he told him that there were two major themes that he that were in the movie and that were not going to change. And those two themes were no one is born to be a failure and no one is poor who has friends. 
Yes. Which we know from the movie. And even at the end, you know, Harry says they give the toast at the very end to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Because mm-hmm. no one, all of his friends come to help him, which is just, it gives me chills to think about it. Like that is just I was, such, so beautiful. It's such a beautiful moment. I was bawling. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. a baby. I <laughs> yeah. lost it. Yeah. I couldn't, because again, it's one of those things where I didn't know how the movie was going to end. Right. Like I, for, for whatever reason, I was like, um, okay, so he, you know, he comes back, he's all happy. He's like, you know, Merry Christmas movie yeah. theater. And he's like running back home. And then he's like, oh, the cops are still going to be there. So he's going to be like, so he's going to go the go to jail, but he's going to be like, I'm going to jail, but I'll make it out and I'll be okay. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's an interesting ending. And then everyone comes in and starts giving him money. Yeah. And I was, I was just, uh, and the song that they the sing. The song, yep. When they, oh, um, I know. I It was, I was just so, I was so swept up. I saw a review <laughs> I think it was there, there's another podcast I like called we hate movies which is the exact opposite of this show <laughs> um, and they talk about um, they mainly talk about bad movies but like I follow all of them on this um, movie uh, service called Letterboxd where you can rate movies that you've seen and one of them wrote on It's a Wonderful Life he said if you if you get through this movie without a single shred of being emotional. I would love to w- watch you walk in front of um, automated doors to see if the scanner picks up your soulless body. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I was like, and I was like, is it really that emotional? And I like, couldn't yeah. hold it back at the end. Like I had to keep the credits going because I was just like, I needed to contain myself. Right. And even after <clears throat> all those years of me watching it, I still, you know, <clears throat> shed a few tears at the end. It's mm-hmm. just, it is, it is so beautiful. And like you said, the song, which like I'm a sucker for music in general. So the ending oh, yeah. when they start singing, I'm just like, oh, my God, this is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's unreal. And I, I guess this must be the most uh, uh, successful movie that's been based on a Christmas card. Because I feel like so many Hallmark mm-hmm. and whatever movies are just based on, you know christmas cards yeah like some someone's you know there's a cowboy holding a guitar next to a christmas tree <laughs> it's like hope you have a very country christmas right. and someone sees that and they're like oh my Hallmark god yeah we're gonna make three of those <laughs> exactly. a very country christmas on netflix now go watch it yes um <laughs> exactly. but so i wanted to what when this movie starts i think it's interesting well first of all it takes place in upstate new york yep seneca falls so, so when they're like, oh, we want to go up to Buffalo, I'm like, ah, yes, the luxurious, like, eighth right. wonder of the world, Buffalo, New York. And the bank <laughs> and the bank examiner's like, I want to spend Christmas with my family in Elmira. And it's like, oh, yes. I know exactly where that is. So we actually drove through uh, the town. Um, we were actually doing, my parents and I, we were doing some wineries, a little winery tour. And we drove, we decided to drive through Seneca Falls. And you know, you see the library, you see the bridge that it was based from, you know, the town, like you can, you can kind of visualize what they were thinking when they saw this town and then, you know, got the idea for the, for Bedford Falls. And during the holiday season, they do like, it's a wonderful life museum. Like they have all these tours going on, which is really cool. So they're also really, Seneca Falls is very proud of the fact that Bedford Falls is based off of their town. I mean, they do a whole weekend, like it's a wonderful life weekend that you can go to. And I think it's usually at the beginning of December. Mm -hmm. So just very cool. 
That is, yeah, that is. I was not expecting to hear those. They I also mentioned Rochester, right? Um, yeah. At one point, um, I would imagine like that they would be you know extremely proud of it. I mean, it, it does a good job of you know capturing this feeling of like this town that's kind of in the middle of nowhere but has its own community. Everyone knows everybody, or at least everyone knows who George is, which mm-hmm. is a great thing to make you know make as your central character. Um, and uh, it's kind of like just this very random just like section of just streets with your, you know, your kind of, you know, town square plaza kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And like, you just get a really good sense of where everyone is yeah. um, at all times. And I, I was during, I wanted to start with the opening with the, the flashback to when George was uh, a young boy, um, because <laughs> I think it's really interesting. So when he first goes to Mr. Gower's mm-hmm. um, shop, and, you know, this is after he has he's been deaf in one ear and he's talking with Vi and talking with Mary. I like that they're characters that you see even from that point. Like that's it makes them super relatable and mm-hmm. can easily follow. Um, the child actors are bad, but in a good way. Like, I, I don't mean it as a demerit in any way. Like I'm watching them like they're not very good, but I like it. Yeah. Like it, I like that they're just the right amount of old squirrely um like from the forties, clearly like child actors that they were, you know, the nephew of, you know, whoever that like Irving G. Thalberg and they Mm -hmm. like threw him in this movie. Um, But like it, it works. Like when he, when, when Mr. Gower, it it, like, it works because when when Mr. Gower is hitting George Bailey and this kid is like actually crying, you feel like, Oh, he is definitely going to be traumatized because of, (laughs) because of this. And that was one thing I wanted to say is that like, it starts off like it gives you this really depressing story beat so early on. Like the fact that Mr. Gower's son dies. um, Does he die in the war? He dies of influenza. Dies of the flu. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, And he almost poisons a child's prescription and George stops him and he like, you know, freaks out. And it's like, the scene ends with them hugging each other and they're crying. And it's like, so it's already so emotional. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So emotional. And I also love in that scene, um, like you brought up how George can't hear out of his one ear. And you even see in that scene, Mary child, Mary um, lean down and say, is this your bad ear? George Bailey, I'll love you till the day I die, which is it. I love that part because later, I mean, she literally, she loves that man unconditionally and you see it as a child and she's always loved him and i i love that part i think that part is so cool and so so sweet and now they're so little and like even violet in that scene mm-hmm. as a child she she's the same way when she grows up you know and yeah i think they they set it up really nicely as as seeing them as children and then seeing as they grow they also picked the i think they picked the right actors in the fact that the kid actors look a lot like, like their older counterparts like that is really well done. Yeah. Um, one of the criticisms, I guess, that people had of this movie is the fact that <clears throat> it's very idealistic. And I guess like someone could look at it, especially now and say like the whole town helps out this one man who helped them out. Um, and that probably wouldn't happen today because we live in a very, you know, cynical, yeah. terrible, terrible Selfish time in America. World, yeah. So yes, but um, so there's actually, there's a, there's a quote from, uh, oh, it's um, from Bosley Crowther from the New York Times said, 
The weakness of the picture for, from this reviewer's point of view is the sentimentality of it. The, it's a, it's illusory concept of life. Mr. Capra's nice people are charming. His small town is quite beguile is a quite beguiling place and his pattern for solving problems is most optimistic and facile but how but somehow they all resemble theatrical attitudes rather than average realities he's not wrong but mm-hmm. i don't think that's a demerit on the movie no i um, think that's a i think that's a strength of the movie I, yeah i agree i think that that's the the point of the movie right. i think he's the it's very clearly purposeful like i, I don't think that i mean i guess I and mean, obviously it's supposed to be like an opinion but like i if it was all depressing, like, would we want to watch it over no. and over again? You have to have that ending emotional, you know, big swell because it makes everything that came before it worth it. Like yeah. you appreciate the lows to get to the highs. Right. And also we have to think about when this movie was made. This movie was mm-hmm. made in the four- 1940s and we don't know what small town life was back then. This very yeah. well could have been a thing. I mean, I think, I think in our world today, money is just a super negative. Like it just, it makes people selfish. And, you know, I don't think, I don't think this would happen in today's world at all. But in the 1940s in a small town like Seneca Falls or Bedford Falls, this could very well have been something that would have occurred. I mean, I feel, I think people back in those small towns, and especially if you think about it, usually, because I came, I come from a small town. We both do. And Endicott has a lot of Italian settlers, people from Italy. And so when back in the 1940s, when it was just the people who had just came over from Italy, they all had a lot to bond over. They were probably all Mm -hmm. very close knit community because they all had just came to to America. They're just starting their lives. They all probably knew the same people. So I, I don't think that it's totally unrealistic that this could have happened back then. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also the fact that yeah, it's it's a it's a small community. Like right. it's not a city. No. It's not like the entire city of New York right. paid for George, you know. Like right. they're just going up against one dude. Right. Like Mr. Potter rang very true to today. Let right. me tell you. There were oh some parts gosh, where yes. I was like, "Oh god, what am like maybe top 10 most evil people in cinema." And Mr. he Potter. and he was um in the New York Times in when the 2008 recession was going on, someone actually quoted saying that like, we need less potters in this world. Yes. And they, they, they compared what happened in it's a wonderful life to the 2008 recession saying that the money schemes were compared to those of that for falling into a recession when it's, it's greedy. It's, you know, all Potter wants to do in the movie is get rid of the building and loan so that he can sell shacks to the poor people at high rents and make a lot of money, which is something we very well see today. Like (laughs) that is not something that is totally made up. Um, So I think from a financial aspect and from, you know, look, seeing the character of Mr. Potter, that is something that very well rings true today and that you see today. Yeah. And he like from, again, from the get go, like he's just this, he never, he's never he never appears sickly like yes he's in a wheelchair but it's like almost clear this guy's like never he's never gonna go away Mm -hmm. and is constantly just kind of just he's this 
blood-psyching parasite on this town. And one other thing that I found in doing my research is that um, the FBI uh, said that in regards to It's a Wonderful Life, said that this, in substance, that the film represented rather obvious attempts to discredit bankers by casting Lionel Barrymore as a Scrooge type so that he would be the most hated man in the picture. This, according to those sources, is a common trick used by communists. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they also said, in his opinion, the picture deliberately um, maligned the upper class, attempting to show people who had money were mean and despicable characters. Now, and then film historian Andrew Saris then went on to say that the censors never noticed the fact that Mr. Potter gives a, gets away with robbery without being caught or punished in yeah, any way, right. completely negating what this, um, what this um, critic says. And that's one thing when I was watching this, I was, cause you obviously know that Potter's an asshole from the get go and they could have very easily just kept him the one note villain um, but he gets worse and worse, worse and worse as the movie goes on. Like he, when George, they, when George's dad dies and he's like, you know, pounding into um, the board about, you know, uh, giving all the assets to him. And then later when he gets the money from uncle Billy and like, which is a heartbreaking <sighs> part. Yes. I, I hate oh. that part. It is my, like, I, I like literally want to like cover my eyes during that part. I hate it. And he keeps the I, money. The whole yeah. time, he never gives. He never admits he's wrong. He never gives the money back, which you know, that's just. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's just like I mean, it gives us one of the one of John Mulaney's great bits where he's like about Georgetown asking him for money, and it's like you know, I felt like Jimmy Stewart and, and Uncle Bailey's like, "Where's the money, you fat <laughs> motherfucker? Where's the money?" Remember that part in the movie Frank Capra, nineteen forty six. It's great, um, but. Also, is Uncle Bailey like the string around his hand? Is that supposed to be like he keeps that's how he remembers he things. Okay. So like he has such a bad memory that mm-hmm. he keeps the string. So like when we see him go to the teller to make the deposit and he's like, you know, it's usually customary to bring the money with you. And the teller even says, is it that finger? Like, is it that string? Because he has all these strings around his fingers to try uh-huh. to remember things. And Uncle Billy, his character alone, just like he has squirrels living within like the crows in the bed. (laughs) Just a weird, a weird guy. So weird. But back, but also back to Potter. I don't know if you noticed this. You were talking about how, you know, he's seen in a wheelchair, wheelchair the whole movie, but he's super powerful. Have you, did you notice that whenever he has someone in his office at his desk, the chair is so much lower than the desk. So you have yes. this, you have this power dynamic of the desk mm-hmm. and then he's all the way up here, super high up in his wheelchair. And the chair is so low on the opposite side of the desk that he's looking down onto whoever he's speaking to, which I, I thought was a super cool way to show the power dynamic in the movie. Yes. And to kind of add to that, that scene when he talks to George about working for him, that's like the first time I'm fairly certain that we see George sit in front of Mm -hmm. uh, Potter. He's always standing Mm -hmm. like when he and Jimmy Stewart is tall, Mm -hmm. six foot three, very handsome man. When he is yelling at Potter the first time, like when he's about to leave for school, he is like getting right in his face. He's clearly standing over him. And we get this great sense that he is while not in control is in control. And then when he's sitting down in that chair, he's so complacent. Um, And you're like, Oh no, he's going to draw him in. And even, he even says like, you know, you're like a spider, you know, tangling up and up in the web. And it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. That's absolutely insane. I also love speaking of Potter when, uh, (laughs) when young George goes in 
to his dad's office for the first time to ask him about the, the pills and potters there. And he calls him mean. And he just gives him this like little shove. <laughs> and, and Potter's just like, ah, oh, you can tell he's a Bailey. Right. <laughs> and he's just, he's just so evil from the very beginning. And I, it, and it's also, you know, you see in the beginning, um, George's dad trying to like explain like, because the whole building alone is to give people money so that they can get houses and that so they can have, you know, they're, they're so poor so that they could, they could have some sort of financial something. And, you know, mm-hmm. we see even from the beginning of the movie, how, how much Potter is against that and of giving the poor yeah. anything, which is also something that can be said is very true today. You know, mm-hmm. I think this is one of the most easy to understand financial movies. Yes. The movie overall is just completely centered around the housing market. Yep. And it's very easy to understand because the writing is so good. Mm-hmm. It also doesn't. I mean, obviously, this was written for a different audience and at a different time, but it's it doesn't dumb it down too much. It's not like it's not like the big short where it's like, all right, here's Margot Robbie in a bathtub to tell you about interest rates. It's like it's just it's like that scene, the best scene, they were like one of the best scenes that it kind of shows that is when everyone comes in, like after like when George is going to his honeymoon and everyone comes into the bank and is like trying to get their money mm-hmm. because, you know, all the <clears throat> basically all their money's gone and they have to use the honeymoon money, um, you know, and he's like, you know. I don't have your money. It's at Bill's house, Fred's right, house, right, 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 Kennedy's right. house. And he's like very clearly trying to tell them like, you know, it, it's not all here. Like it's going to like, we're, we're going to open next week. It's going to be okay. And the fact that again, it's one of those each moment where he hits failure, it is so the stakes are so high and it's, you could see how they get to that fact. Like the fact, like when his dad dies and he has to take it over. Okay. He's taking it over and he's missing out on college. And then his brother comes home, you know, with, um, with his wife and he has a job and you're like, Oh no, he's going to have to stay there longer. And then he gives up his, honeymoon money so he can't travel and it's like oh my god like each time is so emotionally realized and it it hits like it's not it's not like something like you know i i I don't know like you know i had to give my bicycle away from when i was like three to you know pay the mortgage on my house it shows the real struggles that people go through like and yeah and not only that it's like each decision he makes is setting him back years yeah. of his life. And it's, um, it's something that he doesn't want either at mm-hmm. all. Each decision that he's forced to make. Yeah. Yeah. He, but he only does it because it's for the betterment of the, of the community. Right. Um, I, I wanted to talk about his relationship with Mary because I think it is so strong and one of the best, it's such a romantic movie too. Yeah, it is. It's, you can't help but blush and get like just so <laughs> warm inside because of how, like you said, like when she says, I love you to the day that I die, like, <clears throat> why can't we have that more? I know. You meet someone when you're five and you live with them for the rest of your life. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. I can't, I, I can't remember half the people I met when I was five, let alone if, I, if they liked me or not. Like, I, it's exactly. so, <laughs> it's so sweet. It's that, you know, that childhood love and, and the fact that they stay in this town forever. Like they just keep getting closer and closer and closer. And that first date that they have is so sweet mm-hmm. when she, you know, pushes the wormy guy away and she's like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just give me a minute and goes and dances with George. And that part where he, they open the, the pool, gym yeah. is like, it's so strange. Cause that one guy's like, all right, let me tell you something. <laughs> 
I got a key. There's a pool underneath this gym floor. That that George designed. He designed the gym floor that he felt that he ends up falling into. <laughs> but it's so funny just because it's like, I have the key. Now this button's going to open the door. <laughs> if we play our cards right, people are going to fall in. <laughs> now this also means they're going to get wet while they're dancing. And it's like, all right, I <laughs> we get it. <laughs> But I love when they're dancing and then everyone's like, whoa. And it's like, hey, we must be pretty yeah, good. Really huh? good. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the other part that I, it's just like, oh, you watch that and you're like, why can't times be like that anymore? Look at how fun that looks. Like why we're, we're over here listening to rap music and, you know, <laughs> it's it's so sad that that's. But I, I agree. The relationship between George and Mary is so beautiful. And it's also, you know. Mary is a very independent woman and you can see that from the beginning um especially when you know she gets the old house on Sycamore and she spends all of her time just fixing up this house and you watch her putting up the wallpaper and like she's just a such a strong independent woman and is and whatever she sets her mind to she does which is why I think she's so perfect for George because she's that positive strong figure that he needs in his life. And I also, I love the one scene. I mean, the beginning when they're walking back from the, the dance and they're singing Buffalo gals when you come out tonight is mm. perfect. Like, and that's, that's such an iconic moment, but also, you know, you see, he asks why she didn't go to New York like everyone else did. And she said, Oh, I miss this town. No, in reality, you miss George. You came back here because you wanted to be with George. And mm. then later when he come, when George comes home and he, to their house, they're already married and he thinks that she's sleeping and you hear like, you can hear kind of the flashbacks in his head. You know, you hear the different parts of like that he's thinking about, you know, he thinks he's a failure and you can hear different parts from the movie um, mm -hmm. as if you're in his brain. And then you hear her start singing and she tells him that she's pregnant and it's just, it, it's yeah. And it's so cute. Cause he's like, is it a boy or a girl? And she's just like, yeah. mm -hmm. like yeah. it's such a cute and it, it's the perfect because you see, you see George. Okay. We're getting now into another low point in his life. He's struggling. You know, he's having all these, these thoughts and I'm pregnant. Oh, is it a boy or a girl? Mm -hmm. Like it's just yeah. such a cute, a cute and perfect relief in that moment. And I think that that is what Mary's really good at throughout the movie as well as being that relief. Yeah. And she plays him at times. Yeah. Like she sometimes has control over him. Like I, I'm sure someone could like do a, a like maybe a, a, a woke culture review of when she's in the bushes and he's just like, well, I've never been in this situation right, before, I know. <laughs> but it's pr still pretty funny. Yeah. But the fact that that kind of comes back later in the next scene when they meet um, after, you know, George or his brother uh, got married and he's kind of walking around town and he's very clearly depressed. And then Sam calls and mm -hmm. he's on the phone. And she's like, it's like, oh, you know, it's Sam. Oh, how about that? <laughs> right. Gets them to come back in to talk on the phone which was an incredible scene. Like the fact that you can kind of slightly hear what they're talking about, but it doesn't actually matter because you're just looking at how close they are together. And they just keep getting and, closer and closer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then he kind of snaps and he's, you know, just like, what are you doing? And it's just like very clearly hurt, but like they just love each other. And at that point it's just this burst. Right. Like we don't have that enough in movies anymore. The burst of emotion to where it feels earned yeah like this entire time where it's 
you know, I, I don't want to say it's a will they, won't they, because we know that they will. Yeah. But it's you've already had like seemingly the most romantic scene where, you know, it's like, what do you want the moon? I'll throw a lasso mm-hmm. around it and bring it down. And then <clears throat> and now we have this where this is the point where they realize they are, need each other. Yeah. It's not that they want each other, but they are like actually kind of destined to be together right. and there's never a point where I feel like if this movie was made today there there would be a point where Mary would be like you know things have changed you know why why aren't the, we the same as we mm-hmm. once were you know I want a divorce or something like that yeah. you know I think that, but they don't need that they know that they're going to need each other that they, that they have to be together for for George to stay alive essentially right. um, and it's just again it's so romantic and Jimmy Stewart I mean we should just say this performance is amazing mm-hmm. of how he just had there was something about him that was just so he was so effortless in his it to show his heart like he had so much heart in literally everything that he did and you know in like the final scene in Mr. Smith goes to Washington and even in like Rope where he's basically he's the good guy in that movie but he's the one with the conscience. And in this movie, you can, even when he's like yelling at Gower, it almost seems like his face doesn't really move because you can see it's so genuine what Mm -hmm. he's saying and how he's feeling. He is just exudes positivity. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think their relationship as well. Um, Mary needs things from George and George needs things from Mary. And that's why they work so well together because both of them, and it's not, it's not a relationship of like, one is constantly giving and the other one's constantly taking. And like you said, Mary, you see Mary control George sometimes. So, you know, she's not just the, the yes, the yes man that he, that he, you know, wanted or whatever, but they both, they both bring so much to the table in their relationship. And when, and like you said today, you know, times get tough. Okay. I'm just going to leave. Mary believes in him so much and supports him so much that, you know, when, when he comes back and he's hugging the kids and the, the, there, he's about to get arrested and she runs inside. She's not screaming at him because she was running around looking for him. She's not mad. She's just so thankful that he's there and so mm-hmm. happy to see him. And that's, that's also something that, that makes Mary one of my favorite characters too, is she is so, like I said, she's so positive and she's, she's loves him so much and she believes in him so much she, and she's a great mother to the children and that you just see so many great things from her. Absolutely. I think we should talk about the final like 40 minutes where I think it's the section that kind of everyone knows about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, we already said when, uh, when he loses the money and kind of realizes that he's going to go to jail and it's obviously it's going to be him. He's not going to throw Billy under the bus. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking. You could see him start to lose his mind and he's like at the bar and he's just like the tears are just coming down his face. It's mm-hmm. just, it's incredible acting. It's just like, cause he's not doing anything. He's just being in the scene yeah. and he's not making it overly, you know, like overly dramatic. It feels natural. And, you know, then he goes to the bridge, which this is, I guess is my one, I don't want to say flaw. It's kind of a nitpick of the movie. So he goes to the bridge for the first time to, and he's about to jump over. So Clarence's idea is like, oh no, he's about to jump. Okay, well, I'm going to go in the water to make him jump. Right, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Yeah, because you, you're like, thinking like, okay, if he's going to jump in, he's trying to kill himself, but then... 
And I guess, I guess that my only thought would be, I guess that maybe that plays to the mental state of people. You know, when you, when you decided you've given up, you've given up. So if he decided Mm -hmm. like, this is it. And he jumped in with just like the thought of I'm giving up, you know, he might've survived, but if he really was in that terrible state of mind where I'm giving up, he, you know, he might've not fought to survive that jump. Right. We're like, okay, now we see Clarence jump jump in. So now he's like, oh my God, I got to save this person. And he's like, I'm going to jump in and then I got to save myself and I got to, I got I to gotta carry him out. Like, so I guess it's, it's just the mental, like the thought process, the mental state that he's in that I would say would change that. But I, I've thought the same thing before. Um, <laughs> I so guess because he, he, he dove in as opposed yeah. to falling in or something. I, 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 <laughs> right. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a swimmer, so I don't know. Right, me um, and I, yeah. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so now he has this relationship with Clarence. And, you know, Clarence is pretty funny throughout most of it. Like when they're at the bar and he's like, oh, you know, I'm 230 years old. Yeah. And like next May, like how does and, and the fact that they're like, oh, well, everyone believes in angels. So what? How do they not react negatively when they see one, you know, like, and that's the other thing is like when they're sitting there and Nick is so mean in that scene. Yes. So mean. And that's, that was my other point. Like when George is alive and it's Martini's place, Nick is so nice, such a great Mm -hmm. guy. And then, okay, all of a sudden George was never born. Now Martini, you know, he, he can't afford to have the, have the place. So now it's Nick's place and he's so mean. He's yes. so nasty. I think that's also a good, um, like another reason why this movie is so well written is because the fallout is extremely dramatic. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, you know, he comes back and everyone's like, who are you? Right. I never heard of George Bailey. And it never really goes beyond that. Or if it's like, oh, you know, your kids aren't around because you never had them. Yeah. Like, oh, no. Like, it's actually like, yeah, this people's personalities changed because yeah, of him exactly. like yes nick is mean um relationships were broken like eddie lost his um or ernie lost his wife and yeah. they took the kid and it's they, pottersville you know, was, now yeah and it's everyone lives everyone lives in shacks and bailey park is a cemetery like and it's so um like commercialized yeah. You know, it's like, you know, here's the big theater and, you know, the big Coca-Cola sign and like just everything. It's like there's this they sucked all the soul out of that movie. Yeah, it's or out of the out of that town. It's it, you can feel it like it's yeah. not like you have to kind of imagine it because that's what people thought at the time. Like you can very clearly see like what happens when he's not there. And yes, I'm sure it. But it, it's a fucking movie. It's a yeah. work of fiction. So like it you it works. You get so you know, wrapped up into you're like, oh my god! And when when Violet's getting put away in the car, oh my like gosh, I'm no. getting arrested, it, it's like it's horrifying. Like, everything's it's like, no. bad. Yeah, you go back and everything's bad. Nothing's good. Yes, it's oh my god! It was heartbreaking. Yeah, and you know the fact that the, the most you know kind of famous part is when he's finally running around town and being like, you know, um, I I want my life back, Clarence. You know, come on, please, like. Uh, and then and then Clarence says to him the one part <clears throat> which always gets me when he says, "Yeah, you George, you see, you you see, George, you really had a wonderful life." And that yes. part, it's like, oh my gosh. Hmm. Yeah, and they could have done like so many different things. Like it, it could have done. Like they could have gone the like absolute extra mile and done like, you know, the war never happened because right. of George. But it's like, no, we got to keep it like 
somewhat grounded. Right, but it all makes sense because, like I said, every part is important. So we see the one part, you know, when they're talking about in the toward the beginning of the movie and they're talking about Harry. Oh, Harry was the best of them all in the war. You know, he shot down two two planes as they were about to go kill all these soldiers. Okay, well, now back. Okay, now George, you know, later in the movie, George was never born. And so we see... George was never born. George never saved Harry. Harry never saved all those soldiers. So every piece of the movie is played out so perfectly and all comes back in the end. So it all makes sense. All the pieces of the puzzle, like come back together, which I think is so, it's so great. Setup and payoff is important and necessary in every single story. And there are so many that don't do it. And when you can do it in a very smart and natural way, your movie is just, it's gold. gold. And the and the ending scene, I mean, we've already talked about it, but it's still to see everyone, you know, when he's like, my lip is bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, starts running all over town. And I think, I, we haven't mentioned him yet, but like the way that Frank Capper shot this movie was genius because the, he fills the frame. Mm-hmm. There's so, there's not a dull frame in this movie, really. No. It's, even when it's the cemetery, it's it's such deep focus. You could see everything. Yeah. And if it was then the snow, and I, I should mention, I watched the I watched the original black and white version because um, Amazon has both the black and white yeah. and the color version. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, no, I got to go the black and white. I got to go the original. And the snow mixed with the lights and the dark bridge, it's just it's beautiful to look at. Like it's just so wide and so filled, and it's it's each shot looks looks good and the cool camera movements that they used to do like all the wide crane stuff and it's and i think that adds to the pacing of it is because of how um you know how well shot it was they even have some jump cuts in there which makes it you know kind of very clearly from the 40s but in a good way it's got that charm to it um he just he directed it with such ease like he made it look easy yeah he really did and a fun fact talking about you know the way they shot the snow so my dad because this is his favorite movie of all time so growing up we had a book about it's a wonderful life that had like just a bunch of like basically fun facts and history the snow is actually made from cornflakes and soap Mm -hmm. so which now like once you know that and you watch you see it you can kind of see the suds on their on their coats a little bit like you can kind of see like okay i could see how that would be soap um but I thought that was really cool. I mean, you never hear that. Like, and that's how you get the crunch of it too, is because it's mm-hmm. cornflakes, which is just so cool. Yeah. It's yeah, but they when they now they can do like like styrofoam right. or like really anything. Yeah, that's it's such a great I love those little movie making tricks. Me too. Um one thing I also wanted to mention is the is the scene when George first comes home before he meets Clarence and all of that is when he first comes home after realizing Oh no, I'm going to prison. And the way that he reacts to his family, it's kind of the first time that we see his like just the entire family. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's the first time that we meet the meet his kids. Yeah. Um, and he snaps. Like he just, you know, breaks the model in the living room and starts yelling at everybody. And in any other movie, you just be like, Well, this guy's a dick. Like, why do I yeah. care about him? You can clearly see why. And I know I've had my moments where you unnecessarily snap at like, you know, your family or people that you people that you love because you're having like a a super shitty day. Like we've all been there. I mean, maybe not to like this extent, obviously, but like 
you understand it. Yeah. Like you, you can clearly see how he got there and it, again, it also, it just, it feels real. And it, that could have been the part where Mary's like, I'm taking the kids to my mother's right, house. Like you know, I'm leaving. Figure it out on your yeah. own. But no, she sticks it out and they were just like, pray for your father, pray hard. And then everyone runs upstairs like, we're on it, Ma. Yeah, Don't worry. We're, we're praying. <laughs> and and the other part that's heartbreaking in that scene is when he hugs the littlest one, Tommy, and he's crying and he's just like holding Tommy as hard as he can. Mm-hmm. And that's when Mary notices that something's wrong. And it's just, mm-hmm. you feel like, oh my God, you can feel that he he's so scared he's about to lose his kids. He's about to go to jail. And yeah. like, you can feel that. Which makes the ending so much better because it's literally from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs, yeah. and everyone obviously bringing in the money and his brother coming back home and yeah, the the richest man in town and it's just because already the song I was like oh my god and mm-hmm. I was but once the text comes up for you know to my brother like to my the, brother George yeah yeah the uh, you know no one is oh no one is the, poor that who has Clarence friends. writes him yeah yeah no Clarence one, writes in the book yeah no man is a failure who has friends yeah I was just because uh, like that's another thing for me personally is like my friends are super important to me mm-hmm. and they always have been and so to, to see that and to understand like and again George's full character arc comes like to a close there and just it's so well encapsulated in just one line yeah I was just, I, I couldn't take it. Like, how could you not look at that and just, it, it was just, it, it could have had voiceover. It could have had like, it, it was just, it was perfect. Well, it like, was a yeah. Ending. And like we said, Cap- Capra really put, cause you talked about the two themes, which is no man is a failure. And the other one was, um, you can't be poor if you have friends. Mm-hmm. And he put those two themes right at the very end when it's Harry's line first, you know, to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. And then he opens the book and remember, no man is a failure who has friends. So Kappa yeah. really takes those two themes that he wanted the movie to be about the entire time. And is like, boom, like there it is, like sealed, signed, sealed and like wrapped up with a bow. And yep. it's just perfect. And let's not also forget that everyone coming to save George and giving money. That was all Mary. Mary mm-hmm. decides to go out and like fix the whole problem, which is another reason she's one of my favorite characters because George, he has a super low point. She can tell that he's at the edge. He's at the breaking point. He's about to commit suicide. What does Mary do? She calls up Uncle Billy. What's going on? All right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to fix it. Mm-hmm. Which she is, gets every single person in this fucking town yes, to like give her money. To give money, <laughs> which is, it's, it is, she, she is just the ultimate power woman. In this movie, it's a, it is incredible for a movie that came out in 1946 oh, to to have yes. that strong of a woman and to um like in again in any other movie made today people would have just it would have been like oh the good of the town yeah and yes like it is the good of the town like they show up but like Mary probably wouldn't have had that much to do with it she probably would have been sitting by the phone waiting for George to call or waiting for him to come home and then everyone shows up like oh. Right. And we went through we went through a major part in a major time period in Hollywood where the main characters were always men. They were always the strong Mm -hmm. ones. They did everything. They figured everything out. And the woman was just kind of like the quiet little character, like, oh, let me rely on the man. Not and for this movie to be from the 40s and it has this strong of a woman in it is Mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think we got through all of the critical stuff. I mean, we obviously love this movie so much. So why don't we finish it off in analysis? So let's go to analyze this.
you mentioned the two themes already. I, I wanted to talk about, um, yes, the the fact that no man is born a failure, and um, the no man is uh, you're never poor if you have friends. The the one thing that I was really picking up on, and again, I think this has a lot to do with just being from a small town and feeling like feeling like you're stuck. Like George, like it's it's not just that he's hit you know, bad points in his life. He very clearly wants to get out of here and is just chained there. And he's doing the right thing. But also, like, you know, I, I felt like this too, you know, living in Binghamton. I'm very mm-hmm. happy that I grew up here, but at the same time, it's like there's so many things I want to do like outside and I need to move away. And I want to, but sometimes you're just like, I really am just like not going to be able to leave here for a while. Like you just feel so stuck because after a while it's like, Oh yep, there's the store. There's the movie theater. Mm -hmm. There's the school. You know, it's the same thing every single day, day in and day out. And it feels, it feels never ending. Yeah. And that's a great, it's so well, like it, it, that's, it's well done visually too, because you see, like the town always has snow. The town always has snow. It's like the same landscape. It has. It doesn't change. That's why when he comes back at the end, it feels so weird because it's so flashy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that yes, it's embedded in the in the two themes that Capra talks about. But like George just feels completely stuck, and I and I love that because I completely relate to that as well. Yeah, and I think it also. I mean. You've we've all heard the saying the grass is greener on the other side when in reality it's not greener on the other side it's just a different shade of green mm-hmm. and I think that we talk Still about grass. yeah we talk about you know growing up in Binghamton and always wanting to get out I'm sure that there's people who grew up in like Dallas Texas very different from Binghamton and are like oh I can't wait to get out you know what I mean? So it's like, it's that thing where like, I feel like when you grow up in a place and that place is all you know your entire life, you have that mindset where like, I just need to get out of here. Yeah, it's all subjective, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah, someone's going to get, like I have friends who I went to Ithaca with who are very much, who, who grew up in the city. And so when they come up to upstate New York, there's all these <clears throat> cool little um you know, trademarks of the towns. And even like sometimes when I was driving my friends from the city and we would see a deer, they would make me stop. Right. And be like, oh, look, see a deer. And of course, you know, I hate deer. I see them every day and they annoy me. So I'm like used to it at this point. Um, So yeah, it's all subjective in what your normal reality is. And I think that that's kind of, you know, one thing that we all have that urgent desire to shake things up and um, have something new mm-hmm. in our lives whether uh, on any scale. I mean, yes, there are some people who I'm sure there are people here who are, who are born and raised in Binghamton who want to stay here for the rest of their lives. And mm-hmm. that is totally fine. But even then there is still something that you have that you, some change that you implement or something new to keep it fresh. Right. There's a new job. You meet a new person, um, you know, a new pet or something like we all want to, um, you know, spruce up our life and, however many different ways. Right, which is what you see in Mary. Mary wanted to come back to the town. She didn't want to leave. She wasn't like mm-hmm. George. She wasn't dying to get out of there. But what she did want was she wanted George. She wanted to be back in her hometown. She wanted to be with George. So I think that that's what makes the characters in this movie so real and so relatable is that you have George. He's the character that he just wants to get out of his town. He wants to see the world. He wants to go do things, which like many of us can relate to. But then you have Mary who's very comfortable in her town. She's happy in her town and what she really wants is George. And I think a whole other population can really relate to that. 
So I think that's what makes this movie so relatable is these characters, they are so real and there's, there's different parts of them that you can relate to no matter who you are. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want I think that, you know, and the other thing is that George is the one with the character arc. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously he's the main character. He goes through this incredible amount of change. Um, but it's really interesting to see the fact that, like, all, you, you could make a case that Mary doesn't change. Like, she's this strong figure throughout most of yeah. it. And I think that's really cool, too, because, like, she's this strong person in command, this leader, and this very warm presence right from the get-go. And, she knows, and she's, she knows exactly who she is the whole time. Yeah. And she's always right. Mm -hmm. She is always right. There's never a point where it's like, Ah, oh, Mary, you fucked up again. Yeah. Like it's not like that. You know, they don't they don't put her at fault no. ever. She's always the voice of reason and what she says is true. Mm -hmm. Like she when she says just from the beginning, it's a great point when you you made it where it's, you know, she's like, you know, George Bailey, I would love you to the day that I die. Guess what? She's right. Yeah. And she does. And yeah. it's and the fact that you know, first of all, always, you know, listen listen to the woman in your life because mm -hmm. she's most likely right <laughs> um and um the fact that that's another great reason why they they need each other is because a lot of times george george and goes does george goes and does these things you know on his own and not that he is the exact cause of them fucking up but like he has this grounded person in his life to always be there for him and i get i think that again makes it such a um a timeless relationship because mm -hmm. You know, it, it's it's not just like a classic Hollywood, like let's just stare into each other's eyes while a loud violin score plays, right. you know? It's like they actually complement each other really well in terms of their personalities and their ideals in life. And you're rooting um, for them the whole time to get yeah. together, like at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And they keep yeah. getting closer. And like they could easily, they could have easily just started dating and been together after the Buffalo gal scene when he says, I'm the last of the moon, you know? But then- no, they don't get together. So you you get really hopeful, like, oh, here it is. Like, oh, this is this is when they get together. Okay, now they don't. Now Mary goes to college and now he comes back. She comes back. And, you know, then you see the whole other struggle when he goes to her house and, you know, he's not being nice to her. And so she's mm -hmm. like, well, what do you what are you doing here? What do you want? Right. And so it's it's that's also a cool part is that kind of Capra kind of makes you like want for it. Like, oh, come on, mm -hmm. like now get together like come on okay george just just loosen up just you know you like her you know <laughs> yeah yeah you're yeah you're constantly rooting for them like and even like out loud like i'm just like come on do it go, go right go. right <laughs> um the, the other thing i wanted to mention i i should have probably mentioned this a little earlier but the fact that yes clarence is an angel and we see him talking to god but like i was never I, as i was watching this like i'm not a religious person but i didn't feel like i was bombarded with religious imagery mm -hmm. like i don't think it's at the forefront where this is supposed to be like hey you know god's always right <laughs> like that's not what it's supposed to right. be it's like yes he has someone there looking out for him like um and i guess in you know in reality mary is more so his guardian angel than uh than clarence is but still it's not like this is supposed to be a christian text mm -hmm. like this is not a um you know, read your Bible and you'll be okay kind of movie, right. um, which I think a lot of, there's a lot of crappy Christmas movies that would take that route. Um, and 
And I appreciate that because I think, again, I think that's one thing that this movie that makes it universal and timeless is because like it doesn't really attribute itself to any particular religion. Yes, there's an angel, but again, because it's not um, heavy handed, it makes you focus on the life of George is more easily. Right. And also that's another thing that makes this movie so special and so great is that you not religious, you know, you still enjoy this movie. Me, I am religious and I also enjoy this movie and we both, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's not bombarding you with religion at all, but like I appreciate different parts of it. And I attribute that to my religion. You appreciate different parts of it and you attribute it to the fact that maybe there is a higher power or having the guardian angel and Mary being the angel. So, and I think that's another thing that, like you said, it's not forcing anything on you. It is just a beautiful story and you have all these Mm -hmm. different characters and all these different parts and points of view. And that's what makes it a classic. And that's what makes it a, a, the perfect Christmas movie, I think. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the reasons why I I was watching, like, as I was ending, I was like, this honestly, and we try and answer this question on the show, you know, that's the whole point of the show, is why do we love movies the way we do? This movie, honestly, is an example of why I love movies so much. Like, it's a golden example because, like, not, I mean, it... I would consider it a perfect movie, but it it's not... That, in and of itself, does not make it why. I think it's because... There's so much put into it. There's so much hope in it. And, you know, you obviously don't need like a very positive ending to win me over. But the fact that they really took their time and it seemed like everything was going right with this movie and the performances are just like they feel like real people. Yes, Jimmy Stewart is one of the most recognizable faces in pop culture and one of the best actors who ever graced the screen. But I still believe that he is a down on his luck uh banker trying to get by yeah and like i i'm not taken out of it by the fact that yes he's a very successful movie star not at all i'm like i'm not at all distracted by that and it's like all of the moving pieces it's also just so easy to take in the message is also not Mm heavy-handed like putting aside the religious stuff like it's not just like there's not some character in the beginning of the movie that's just like, well, you know, George, you do have a lot of friends. Right. Like that would kill it. Like yeah. it just wouldn't work. Like they they just show you. They do so well with the relationships. The dialogue is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's talking really fast in this movie. Yeah. And I love that. Like that's my favorite thing about dialogue. But it's and it just wrapped me up like within a minute, like right when George goes to um Mr. Gower's store for the first time and he's interacting with Mary and he's interacting with Gower and Vi. It's like, I was just like, what is this movie? Yeah. Like, this is not what I was expecting it to be. Um, and so just the world of, you know, old Hollywood and the optimism yes. that it gets you. And yes, you said, like you said, it kind of gives you this whole new perspective on life where it's like, you know, who have I affected that I didn't really think about? Right. And also the fact that I, you know, I may be in a slump now or I'll be in a slump 10 years from now. Like there's always going to be something that gets you through. And I think that's why this movie, we need this movie today because we just went through the worst year possible (laughs) and, and we're almost done. We're almost there. But like the fact that, you know, this movie is just saying like, you know, it's not even saying like, 
it's all going to be good in the end. And mm-hmm. yes, it is all good in the end, but it's also like there's going to be bet more bad times. Mm-hmm. There's going to be times where you're going to be in another slump, but like there's always going to be something that gets you through. Right. And I think that this is why I, as a family, we watch this movie every Christmas because it shows you the true meaning of both Christmas, but of, of also life where that it, it is so true that if you have friends and you have family and you are surrounded by people you love and who love you, you have a good life. You have mm-hmm. a wonderful life. Like that is, and that is, that is the entire message of the movie is that we, we take all of these, you know, Oh, this happened to me and I'm upset about that. And this happened like, Oh, my life sucks. Like, no, we take, we take for granted every day, family, friends, the people that love us. We take that for granted every, every day all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that Christmas surrounded by family, by people you love. Christmas is very, I I find Christmas to be a very simple holiday. When I'm surrounded by my family and we are doing our traditions, I am as happy as can be. I'm the happiest of the entire year. And it's a wonderful life shows the same thing. When at the end, when George is surrounded by his family and friends and he realizes this is, this is what life is about. This is mm-hmm. it. The relationships that you make, that is what life is about. And I think that's why it is such a successful movie. And I think that's why it's still a classic today. And it's still one of people's favorite movies today. Because that's that's what matters in life, or the people you surround yourself with. Absolutely. And I, I again, I was so shocked at the fact that the actual Christmas section of this movie isn't until the very end. Yeah. Like it's the whole last act of the movie. So, and one of the things that I was thinking that makes it a, you know, perfect Christmas movie again is that like, obviously there's New Year's, but Christmas is kind of this milestone for the year where it feels like this was the last really big event of the year like mm-hmm. again yes new year's but new year's is like a little different new year's is just like you get together with people and you count down and like woo, drink you know, champagne um, yeah drink champagne and all that but like christmas is a big deal like there's a lot of lead up and a lot of build up to it but it's also like as soon as christmas is done it's kind of this chance to reset yeah like everything starts anew after that like <clears throat> you kind of have obviously there's like the limbo period afterwards where you're just putting stuff away and you're kind of Sad. um winding down <laughs> depressed <laughs> <laughs> tired and like all that um but like it's that chance of like this is the moment where because it's so built up and it's kind of the biggest point of the year for so many people obviously for yourself included mm-hmm. that afterwards it's like all right now it's we're fresh it's a new year yeah. of our lives it's this next period like what's going to happen and you know it can it can go either way obviously but i think that that's one thing this movie does so well is that um it gives george this chance like this very you know big chance to like start over and to show him to as a new appreciation for literally everything like when he's running down the street and saying good morning to his or yeah merry christmas to the office and merry christmas to the movie theater it's because like he has a newfound appreciation for literally buildings in yeah, the town. Right. Like, and it's not just people, but the fact that again, that it's, it's just a complete reset for him and everything is a brand new perspective. So with each new year, it's another part of your life. Um, and you know, Christmas signifies that it's almost like this part of your life or this year in your life, you know, is over, you know, whether it was good or not, 
it almost is arbitrary. And now what happens next is what really matters. Right. And I think that's what both It's a Wonderful Life and Christmas have in common is that it ends, they both end very hopeful. And like you said, with a lot of appreciation and you go into the new, you go into the new year, very hopeful and with a lot of appreciation that you didn't have before. And I also think that Christmas um, is a time for miracles. I, I, I believe that. And I think, you know, I think it's a miracle that families can provide. I mean, growing up, my, my brother and I were never at a loss at Christmas. My, my parents made Christmas so special and it didn't matter how much money we had. It didn't matter. And nothing mattered. Like they made Christmas amazing every year. And that it can be said to be a miracle in itself, how everything you can just, no matter what's going on, you can pull everything together and make Christmas really, really special for at least one day. You can make that one day really, really special is a miracle. And I think the movie, we see mir- the miracle in the movie. And I think that shows the miracle of Christmas and the miracle miracles that can happen at Christmas and, and how people can find new life at Christmas and new appreciation at Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said. And also the fact that um, even just the fact that the community comes together to help them out, like, yes, it's very idealistic, but it, like that is also a trope of many Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. Like I, like we said, we just did Christmas with the Cranks on this show, that that whole ending is that whole, you know, very um, sociopathic um, Stepford Wives type town coming together to help Tim, Tim Allen and Jamie Lee Curtis to uh, welcome their daughter home. Mm-hmm. But like, that that is a staple of like communities and giving back and helping each other because like that's a, an amazing final story beat of the movie the fact that he literally has helped every single person in this town yeah. in one way or another and also financially because obviously you know he's um you know gave these people his honeymoon money when they when he could have very easily not have done that right and they come back and it bounces back and it, and to help him and it's yeah, it, it's beautiful, but it's so um, it's a well told story because of how it ends and it all you know groups up and it, it that's another reason the holiday spirit is so well captured because it's just and it's a small community so everyone is coming together and it's not just like it's not like oh we're you know we're giving him money so he can buy his you know kids Christmas presents or anything like that it's like no we're bailing him out of jail yeah, like we are right. making sure he's not in prison for the rest of it's, his life it shows you also what's important in life i mm-hmm. think i think it perfectly exemplifies what's important in life and i always grew up with what import, what's it, most important in life is relationships and your family and friends and your loved ones that is what's most important in life Unfortunately for other people, that's not the same thing. Either what's most important in life is money, is mm-hmm. you know, is, is materialistic things. And I right, think yeah. this movie shows you that that is not the true meaning of Christmas. That is not what's important in life. What's important in life is the people you surround yourself with. And I think that that is said to also be the true meaning of Christmas. The true meaning of Christmas is love. It's hope it's happiness and what brings those things to you your loved ones your family and friends yeah i couldn't agree more um do you have any final final thoughts on it's a wonderful life before we go i think the the one thing that we didn't touch on is and i don't know if you noticed this right before the run on the bank happened 
we see the pic, George looks at the picture of his father in his office and there's a sign underneath that says, all you can take with you is that which you've given away. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a perfect way to end right now. Yes. <laughs> um, it's, it, I, I know that that's one of the parts my dad pauses at every year. Like, do you read that, analyze it, understand it? I think it's so important because we're, we're, we all can, we're human beings. We all can be selfish. We all can have selfish motives. But I think that quote, all you can take with you is that which you've given away is another true meaning of Christmas. It exemplifies what the Christmas and the holiday season is about. Absolutely. Um, Thank you so much, Kayla. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) There's truly nothing like the holidays. Over the past three months, our deep dive into holiday-centric media has brought much joy and entertainment as our other series have for us here at Frankly I Love Movies. We've highlighted the importance of making time with those you love, the specific traditions, and the overall atmospheric changes that come throughout October, November, and December. That being said, it was interesting to have this exploration in the year 2020, a year that has been defined by what we have lost with very little to actually look forward to. We wanted to latch on to these final months and the special memories attributed to them to keep hope and spirits high to understand that the holidays are not only moments of celebration, but also communal milestones, edging closer and closer to the chance of starting anew. This is the last episode we will release this year. The next time you'll hear us, it will be a completely new era. It will also be the sixth season and third year we've been doing this podcast, which is wild to think about. I want to thank all of our listeners and guests for sticking with us through everything. You are the best, and I hope that in this new year, you'll experience change for the better and hope will be restored. After New Year's, we will be releasing a couple very special episodes before revealing our next series. Until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Movies.